And he's built a nine or actually 10 figure fortune for himself doing that. And funny thing, it got me thinking like, why doesn't this exist in the US? You know, owning business is obviously the number one wealth builder. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are you know, obsessed about starting their own thing. But the idea of buying to build is not as, it's, it's actually relatively novel. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? This is part two of my conversation with Jonathan, where last week we talked about Paul Graham's new article, How to Do Great Work, that has really been kind of blowing up, I feel like, in the little startup internet community. So that, that's that been a really fun one. I really hope you enjoyed it. And this is a continuation of that conversation about the Paul Graham article. But then we also go deep on some startups and marketing tactics that have gotten our attention. Um, from different AI tools to a company that's doing eight figures selling fudge from Uranus. We do one in activewear. We do some tools that we're using that we wish we would have started. And then at the end, we kind of hit on an update with our startup studio. If you're looking to get inspired by some other cool tools and companies that are out there, you'll enjoy this episode. Okay, Janssen. What has got your attention, whether it's startups or from your damn good marketing TikTok channel, which, by the way, has gone over a million views on multiple videos. Well done there. What's got your attention? A few things, actually. The first one is I always pay attention to wealth lists. I've been doing this since 2011. And I had there was this point, I've actually never told you this, where I would literally sit in a library and read the entire Forbes list and try to understand how each person made their wealth and what made each person unique. And the first thing I wanted to highlight actually is actually a new entrant to that list. He's a 32-year-old Japanese billionaire, which by the way, in Japan is rare because a lot of their you know large corporate companies are very ossified and you don't get a lot of new startup entrepreneurs, at least definitely not the same way in the US. His name is Shinsaku Sagami. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but the reason I actually wanted to call him out, besides you know his success, is he founded a company at his age, imagine, that does M&A for essentially what Cody Sanchez is kind of doing, or at least evangelizing, but in Japan. They have, I think, the second highest population above 65. And a lot of those people are owners of longstanding um phenomenal companies and all those companies, or at least a lot of them are closing shop because the owner is retired. He's in his eighties and he has no one else to hand it off to. So this kid comes in and he builds an AI powered company that matches buyers with sellers. And he's built a nine or actually 10 figure fortune for himself doing that. And funny thing, it got me thinking like, why doesn't this exist in the US? At least I don't know it exists like AI powered matching because we have a huge baby boomer population yeah, um, and a lot of companies that are shutting down because they just don't have anyone to come in and run them. And, you know, owning businesses, obviously, as, as you know, is the number one wealth builder. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are you know, obsessed about starting their own thing. But the idea of buying to build is not, is not as, it's, it's actually relatively novel. And that's why, you know, Cody Sanchez and, and her ideas are stand out a lot is because everyone is obsessed about being a startup founder rather than buying something that exists, already has revenue. 
And this guy's doing it in Japan and he's making an absolute killing. So it's an interesting company worth checking out. And if we're ever going to start a company, Jim, it should definitely be this in the US. Taking micro acquire, but powering it with AI to match buyers and sellers. That's it right there. Yeah. And that's man, that that's a really interesting one. I wonder if microquire now acquire if if they're working on that because that makes total sense. Even for us, like I wish that exists. It's like, hey, growth at team, these are the companies you should acquire based on your skill set and the way that these are set up. That's that's huge because my buddy who's on the pod who acquired a company took him two years. They looked at two thousand different companies, and it's just insane. Like what you have to go through. That that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. I, I can't decide with mine if I go down the AI path or something different. So we'll go different. I'll bring it back to AI. So um, this is a company. It is not an AI company. It is off the highway that does eight figures in sales selling novelty products. And it's called Uranus. It is in Missouri and in Indiana. They're opening up more locations. And they sell fudge. And they have the most amazing billboards you've ever seen. And people see that they can go to Uranus, Missouri. They pull over and then they buy a lot of stuff. They're doing eight figures and growing. And what's even more impressive, the founder, his name is Louis. He owned a bar. And the bar did pretty well, but he's like, I've got a vision and an idea. So he shut down the bar for like almost a year. He bought these billboards and all of a sudden he reopens and he has these billboards that say, come see Uranus. And then he transformed the bar into essentially Uranus. And people come from all over, from Canada to go to Uranus. And people go to the e-commerce store just to own a piece of Uranus. But it's one of those where it just makes you rethink everything, where you have a funny idea, one, and then two... His marketing tactics of billboards work extremely well. There's another comp to this. There's Hell, Michigan that you can go to that does really well, but it's Uranus is at a whole nother level as far as the uh, value of it. That's one that has got my attention. You know, funny thing is as digital marketers, I'm realizing people who know how to do offline marketing extremely well are, are so rare. And when they do it, when you pull it off, the the returns and the outcome is, is amazing. But yeah, I think now that you said that, maybe that's that's going to be the project that I dive deeper into. It's like killer offline marketing. It's really right. study the hell out of that. Yeah. And it's all about like get the billboards, get get the hook, and the rest takes care of itself. Right. When you when you get the product or positioning right and that that distribution, it's like so many things take care of itself. But uh, but anyway, we'll have to make a stop yeah. there. What do you got? Yeah, so I'll go very luxury or like into the luxurious segment right now. I'm, I'm, I've always been obsessed with scarcity marketing and um, essentially building a brand and selling things that actually don't have any inherent value, just, but just because of the framing and the story you've told around it now, everyone wants that thing. So I'll talk about two companies. Um, one is Goyard. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're actually a not so well-known. They're obviously, you know, to their... Their buyers, they're a premium brand, uh, but they sell, they have this range where they only sell bags to uh, five customers per year. And that's all that they're selling. And the, the line that they've created for those five bags is, is insane. You have to get on a waiting list and you're invited to come in and buy these. 
And this is a playbook and a strategy that's used by many luxury brands out there. And I've always been fascinated about it because I wonder what about that could be applied to the companies we work with or uh, the space that we're in. Obviously, we're not, you know, purely or like at least the companies we work with are not in the luxury segment, but there are insights in there that could be taken and applied. But that's one. The other one is Louis Vuitton. Uh, Louis Vuitton is kind of following in the, the steps of many other brands right now and launching things just for the sake of getting attention rather than with the intention of selling. They've uh, released a microscopic bag for $60,000, Jim. Can barely fit it on your pinky. Uh, and it's $60,000. It kind of follows in like Balenciaga uh, also in the recent, I think it was maybe in the last year or so, launched a range of trash bags for several thousand dollars. And that also got a lot of it just gets a lot of, it gets people talking. And this kind of goes back to the offline marketing, right? If you can get people talking about what you're doing, it's it's a game changer. That's why Uranus sticks. That's why people are traveling from Canada to visit Uranus and this guy's making a killing. And it's the same thing that these people are doing. If you think about it, even though he's not in the luxury segment, he's getting people talking. He's, he's creating a purple cow. All these guys are doing purple cows as well, if you think about it. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. It's like, so, so how do you build a luxury brand? It's like one, can you have a scarce resource that is truly in high demand where you have like a quarter market one? Two, can you build the brand? Ideally, you have to build the brand on back of legacy or story. It's like, oh, these were the same trunks used by Napoleon that it's now today as a handbag that is $30,000, right? And you could say, what's his name? Oh, I forgot. The guy who launched luxury brand and sold for a billion dollars in today's modern day and age. Oh, I forget his name. But anyway, it's like, what is the model for trying to break into luxury right now? Versus like the opposite is like, what is the next Uranus or Hell Kitchen that we can go yeah. after where you capitalize on the novelty gifting space? There, there's And there are some similarities in their playbook as far as like the offline marketing, marketing stunts that you do, especially yeah. as like we're talking about this as Barbie's just blowing up and like, we'll have to do a whole brand. It's Probably too many people are talking about it's not worth it, but their offline campaigns that they've done have just been insane to see how those phenomenal. Absolutely. There are a few examples of that that I saw absolutely Jim, but it's it's getting people to talk, to turn their heads and look. And uh, that definitely works in the offline world. And you don't have to be in the luxury segment to take full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, nice. I'll go with I got a couple more. Um one, it's uh, so I've, we've been testing quite a few AI tools at their own company, and there's some really good ones, but there's one that has just knocked our socks off, and it is Read AI. And it's called like a Zoom plugin. Like, okay, there's a bunch of them. This one is phenomenal. It obviously records the meeting, it does the full transcript, but the action items are amazing. They, it literally has saved me on sales calls. It then analyzes the sales call, says how it does. It gives a score based on charisma, engagement. It then updates your calendar to have all of the notes from it. You can also pipe it into your CRM. And so it basically removes the need for lots of project management. And it's it's one that I think we're about to roll out to the entire company. So the, that is one that I just like, we, we should become... They need to be an advertiser or not now after this. We just did our ad read, but they are really strong. Interesting. And I think you beat me today with a number of uh, companies that you have. I just have one more, but this one, this one actually, I've, this is a company I've been thinking about for a very long time, at least their ads and the way they used to message. If you remember Snickers, Snickers bars, they used to have those ads that run with the hangry person, those 
angry and hungry at the same time and be able to change into another person, into a yeah. normal person. And that never made sense to me. I knew it was working because they had run those ads for years. It turns out the positioning, they repositioned it from a candy and chocolate bar into a hunger bar. Or at that time, that was the, uh, the energy bar or the protein bar of the, uh, the protein bar of the day. Think of it that way. It's like you're hungry. This fills you up. And that's how people were, 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 uh, were thinking of Snickers. But the way Mars Company found out is by polling their customers. And when they're gathering insights and trying to understand the job that this product was, was playing in their day-to-day existence, they found out that people needed it for hunger. Not they never, No one described it as just another chocolate bar. And that was what it was, a thick bar that solved a different problem. And they completely repositioned themselves as a hunger bar rather than a snack bar in the company. And that product has obviously blown up ever since. But yeah, I think after doing this, it kind of answered a, a question since I've had my, since my childhood of why they were running with those ads. But um, yeah. that's my last you know, one. You know what? That's That actually leads to mine pretty well because the thing worth calling out is there's a bazillion bars out there. You want to own a use case, especially in a competitive landscape like that. And so by leaning into that use case, it's huge. Am I doing on the back of like customer data is, is a big one because there's this company. So they might have the best shirt I've ever put on. It's neat apparel. And so again, crowded space. It's a black t-shirt. Good luck like standing out. But they've engineered it where it is truly sweat and water resistant. So I know this because... Uh, they sent me one. I'm testing it out. I was outside getting my kid out of the car. It started raining. And all of a sudden, I look at my shoulder, and there's like beads of water on my shirt. And it is not absorbing at all, whereas my shorts are soaked. And I'm like, wow, like this is legit. I was like, oh, I'm stress testing this. I did like my 30-minute hit workout that I do with my 50-year-old uh, female friends. And I usually I come home. My wife's like, you're disgusting. Don't hug me. I'm just drenched. I came home, and I'm like, look at this. I like show her my armpits, completely dry, no back sweat. And the thing freaking works. And so the question is, is like, how do you market this? Is like, because right now they're going after people that like sweat and like, don't be self-conscious about it. You're good. Should it be a workout shirt? And it's comfortable. It looks good. It's not as comfortable as like our growth shirts that I've made. That's that cotton that feels like it's been washed a bazillion times. So it's not going to be, it is comfortable, but it's not the softest shirt in the world. But it's like, is it the workout shirt that doesn't show sweat? Do people care about that? Or is it wearing it in public and worrying about sweat stains? But it's one where it's a phenomenal product. And I'm interested to see the go-to-market strategy on how you compete. Because if you look at true classic tea and fresh classic teas, they're going after that market of like, cover your beer belly, show your guns. Your girlfriend, wife will think you look amazing in this shirt. So, So where do you compete, I think, is what they have to decide. You know, as you were saying that in my earlier point about the Snicker bar as well, there's an unbelievable newsletter post by Harry Dry. I think one of the best I've, I've read in a very long time that's worth checking out today. And he has the section in there where he's talking about companies that do a poor job of positioning, actually companies that have no positioning. If, you, if you're on a page or a company tells you that they use words like simple, easy, powerful, effective, fast, quick, flexible, modern, best, better, like generic words, they think they're saying something but they're actually not. And there's no positioning there whatsoever. So just something to call out there. That's my uh, bonus of the day. I saw he dropped a new newsletter. I need to go check it out. Okay. Oh man, it's amazing. Yeah. I feel like he's not consistent with his stuff. Like all of a sudden it'll just drop and then it doesn't, but uh, who knows? Maybe he's trying to be like Supreme or something. Okay. Um, 
The last one, well, it's really just Framer, just because you can turn Figma designs into fully functional websites where they're really leaning into the no-code movement. I haven't played with it enough, but that's one where we know all of this is coming and that one is is super impressive. Yeah, and we intend to use it very soon. So I can't wait to <laughs> report on that one. Yeah. And then the last thing we'll close off on is like just an update on our stuff. And so, you know, it's funny, I think with Meta, they've been like the year of efficiency as they spent like 21 billion on the metaverse and it hasn't been fruitful. But with Facebook, they just came out with their earnings. They crushed it. Ad performance is up. Their margins are even better on that. And uh, sure, let's go and compare us to Meta and, and and Mr. Zuckerberg and his amazing washboard abs. But I think like that's kind of a similar theme with us with Growth Hit. I because if you and I rewind, like back when we were a 10, 15 person company, margins were phenomenal. Yes, you and I were working like crazy and passing out at night, but amazing margins. But we've hit a point with the business, we're approaching 40 people. Like the profits are in the pennies and you have to really watch it. You can't just be like, oh yeah, invest in that project, invest in this. And in the past few months for growth at our agency, that has been the focus, which is kind of annoying because I preferred running the company the old way, but it, it's impacted us. And so we've done lots of things from how we track time, how we think through pricing with variable pricing. What is our true cost per acquisition? Where we're investing our dollars? That's been where a lot of our time and energy has gone. But but any thoughts on that, on how you think it's been going over the past few months? You know, I actually don't have a, a real root cause or an, uh, an, a, even a hypothesis as to why margins have gone down as we've scaled up. Could be several things, but I don't think there's any one thing that really stands out to me. If anything, we're better now at tracking margins than we've ever been. So in theory, we should be better at that, or at least that should be better off, but it's not. So it's uh, we're definitely at an interesting crossroads at like scaling and how far we want to scale and you know and what that means for margins over time. But uh, yeah. yeah, well, in in that book, you know the. Real talk, simple profits or simple talk, real profits. It talks about the yeah. black hole of business between one to five million dollars. And like the the good thing of us dipping into margins is like we have an amazing team. Our process and systems have never been better. We have redundancy, but that comes at a cost. Whereas before, maybe we didn't have redundancy or coverage or these other things, but man, the margins were great. And so now that we've got that, the, the system and the machine working, it's like, okay, now we have to do it where it hits our goals. So that, that's kind of been our focus. The other thing that like us and as an executive team we're focusing on is our marketing strategy that I'm pretty fired up about. We can talk about that more, but those are like the two things we're looking at. And then leads are good, but man, it's a knife fight right now with the market. Everyone is price sensitive. So we have to be aware of that. With one day design, we made some big moves there where we've actually realized it's not the best retention product. It's a good acquisition product. It's almost good lead gen for growth hit. So we're actually kind of rolling it up under growth hit as a way to get people that aren't qualified for growth hit to work with them. And so really that way, all the marketing we do around growth hit is also lifting up one day design, but we should do a whole episode on like the good and bad of with one day design and, and uncovering that. But that's something that we could talk about another day. Yeah, that was definitely, it still is a fun experiment that was run. It's taught us a lot, but yeah, I think that decision was long overdue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's changed the way we run the growth at agency, which kind of goes back to Paul Graham's article where it's like, 
you start a lot of things, ask a lot of questions. The failures aren't failures. They actually like lead to the next thing and make other opportunities open up, which I, I do agree with that. But yeah, then the Handsome Chaos, the DSC brand, our new manufacturer is phenomenal. We're doing a reformulation. We did two. I th- the third one, I think we'll nail it, but dang, that timeline takes forever. We wait four to six weeks before formulations. And for an impatient person like me, that gets old. Yeah. Actually, just watching you go through the process of, you know, trying to get some chaos up and running, it's completely turned me off to the idea of physical product businesses. It's just so challenging, especially in the beauty space, I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, well, that's why we're looking at this kind of buy, then build model, right? Which we know there's going to be pains there as far as like sourcing deals, which could take a long time. But but then when it's done, you're sitting on something that's cash flow positive as opposed to sitting on something that has zero has zero income. So that, that'll be an interesting experiment in itself. Yeah, absolutely. See how it goes. Cool. Well, awesome, man. Well, y'all, and thank you, man. Cool. Thanks. Bye. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.